On today's episode, we chat with Toronto-based couple, Hena Khwaja and Ryan Hillard, about race, family, and what it takes to bring together two cultures in one household. This is Iklaas. And this is Mecca. You're listening to Identity Politics, a podcast on race, gender, and Muslims in America. Mecca, tell the people where they can find us. You can find us wherever you like to listen to your podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Acast. You can also find us online at identitypoliticspod.com, on Twitter at identitypolpod, and on facebook.com slash identitypolitics. And remember, if you like what you hear, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Hey, Mecca. Hey, class. As for some reason, I was going to tell you Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> we could just say that every episode until the end of the year. <laughs> Happy New Year! Happy New Year! <laughs> oh, I've been good. Um, just busy, busy, busy. Um, but good. Alhamdulillah, how have you been? <laughs> I've been okay. So I am, as you know, recovering from the flu. I was like home for a week straight, and now I just have like the lingering cough and congestion. Yeah. And when you were like, "Oh, are you sure you want to record?" You know, I was thinking how Oprah never missed an episode, and her <laughs> like whatever twenty five years of doing a show. In our four years of doing a show, I've missed several episodes, but today was not going to be one of those days. Not the day. <laughs> not the day. I'm surprised like you mentioned Oprah and all of this Gail controversy. I know. Uh, I I got no no dog in that fight. <laughs> okay. No comment. No comment. <laughs> Yo, listen, it's the price you pay to be a public personality. (laughs) Speaking of the price you pay. Hey! Hey! Hey. (laughs) So in the new year, we decided to get it together and finally invite y'all, our supporters, our listeners to help produce the show. And so we've already had some folks sign up on our Patreon and we want to shout those folks out who have become supporters of the show. Well, everyone is a supporter, but these people have become our financial no, backers. No, everyone is not a supporter. <laughs> oh, only okay. Actual subscribers, <laughs> only people who are committing to our Patreon. Those are the real supporters. <laughs> I'm, I'm going so to have to shame people. You know, that's worked in the past. Listen, it's shame has worked in the past. It is an effective tool. Um, but we also want to celebrate. So we yeah. want to celebrate our first three supporters on Patreon. That is, and he would kill me if I didn't say this. Our first supporter was my husband, Joshua Abdul Haq. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Like real then, life day one fan, like pre day one fan. Yes, pre day one fan. So shout out to my husband and also our second supporter, Samira. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Old school Hyde Park honey dip. (laughs) I know. Also day one fan. (laughs) Day one fan. And lastly, we have Ryan Hilliard, who just became a supporter just now. So thank you. Thank you. 
All you folks, it's not too late. Um, we really put our cards on the table in the Patreon page about like, hey, we've been doing this for four years with our own money and we're broke. So please make us less so if you like the show and you want it to continue. This is definitely a labor of love. This is like Seneca that we've been giving to the community. Um, and, yes. you know, we're busy ladies. And as life gets busier, we'd love to be able to continue to push out content, continue to secure the team and the technology necessary to do so. Um, you all have been amazing, amazing, amazing listeners. And the Patreon, even as little as, what is it, $5 a month is yes. the entry mm-hmm. point. You know, that's that's a cup of coffee every month. You know, like that's literally a single bagel sandwich. So if you think our podcast is worth a single, you know, frappuccino from Starbucks per I month, hope so. <laughs> <laughs> then we definitely encourage you to pledge um, because it would make producing this show so much smoother. It would. And you can find our Patreon page at patreon.com uh, forward slash identity politics. Awesome. Um, and it'll be in the show notes as well where you can find it. But that is also not the only thing we have going on because Ooh. it's Black History Month, you know, hey. the time of year. <laughs> uh, we also have a Black History Month campaign going on. You may have seen on Twitter, on Instagram, we have launched a Center Black Muslim Voices t-shirt. It's long sleeves, so you can wear it in the winter. You know, if you like to be all modest, we got you covered. Mm-hmm. It's unisex. I've worn it. My husband's worn it. It's a really fantastic mm-hmm. shirt. Um, if you're not Black, you absolutely can wear it um, because <laughs> it's a call to action. It's an invitation. Um, obviously, our show is all about centering Black Muslim voices, um, but there are lots of other Black Muslim voices and, and folks doing amazing work um, that you can check out online. But please consider buying a shirt um, and you can find that on our website as well, as well as all over our social media. Yep. And the links for all of these things will be in the show notes. So we want to make it super easy. You can just click down, subscribe on our Patreon and buy your shirt while you're at it. <laughs> this episode Mecca. yes i'm really excited about this episode because we're talking Why? about love <laughs> i feel like we talk about love a lot do we talk about love a lot? i think we're or maybe people. relationships <laughs> i feel like we're usually talking about the logistics of relationships which i guess we're doing yeah. in this conversation as well <laughs> um but before we get into the conversation you know valentine's day is coming up mm-hmm. i just have to ask is that a thing in your household? Like Valentine's Day anniversaries, like do you guys celebrate each other like on specific days or is it more of a like 365, mm. seven days a week type? <laughs> <laughs> I felt like you already know the answer to this. <laughs> and I, I think our listeners also already know the answers. <laughs> Hey, we got a so like, past seven days a week Patreon supporter and their husband. So don't trade <laughs> Well, we do not celebrate Valentine's Day. We've actually never celebrated Valentine's Day. And kind of similar to like how I don't celebrate Thanksgiving and things like that. Um, I personally don't celebrate Valentine's Day because it is a pagan holiday. And so I don't like to 
kind of like participate in that because Valentine's Day also has like a very dark and bloody history and like ancient Roman history. Like women actually used to be like whipped on this day <laughs> um, after like men like sacrifice like goats and dogs. They would then like hit women with the hides of these animals. <laughs> so it's like just very dark when you like uncover what it is that you're celebrating. And obviously now it's been like more commercialized. Candy, so. cards. Yeah, candy, cards, like, I feel like the pressure is so high, too. Like, I remember being in high school, and I didn't celebrate Valentine's Day then either, but also just because I didn't have a boyfriend. Ah! So let me not even pretend. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) let me not even pretend. I just like was not into that. Like I was like, I'm into my books. Like I'm into mock trial. Like I was super like lame. Mashallah. Um, (laughs) But like I remember, um, there was this guy who like liked me in school, and he thought it would be a good idea to surprise me by putting like things in my car after school and I go to my car and I'm like, who the hell broke into my car? They're like balloons and like candies and stuff. And I'm like, what the hell is this shit? Like (laughs) who broke into my car? (laughs) And it was like not romantic to me at all. Cause I'm like, I don't, (laughs) who did this? (laughs) I wonder why you didn't have many boyfriends. (laughs) But I was like, this is so creepy. Like we don't even have any, I have a like relationship like that where like I would find that to be cute. Hey, do you watch you? But, um... Joe from you would have done that. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen it, but I know the show you're talking about. <laughs> um, but I would say we try to practice more of like a 365 um, seven days a week. Right. Actually, recently I was at a work meeting and you know, Joshua is like an avid reader and I was asking my coworker, you know, like what kind of gift would you like um, you know, as an avid reader, like what's something you would appreciate? And she was like, oh, why? Like, is it your husband's birthday or something? And I was like, no, he's just like, I'm just getting him a gift. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Um, So what about you? Uh, So I don't, I don't have any, Riz might kill me. I don't have any specific memories of like specifically celebrating Valentine's Day. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it's a Friday night and we like to do things on Friday nights. So that's mm-hmm. probably something that like we'll go and do. Um, we also, you know, because we're still relatively new to the city, like we're constantly looking for like cool events and, you know, like interesting like movies and shows and like things like that. So we'll probably just go out somewhere, not necessarily like because it's V-Day, but because it's the weekend mm-hmm. um, and I've been sick for so long um, and it's winter. And if in winter in Chicago, if you don't leave your house, you'll get really mm-hmm. depressed. So that's probably like what yes. we're going to do. <laughs> that makes sense. I think that sounds like an excellent plan. <laughs> um, so shifting gears a little bit into talking about this episode. So this episode, you know, you mentioned we talk about relationships a lot, which is kind of funny because I don't feel like we do. But maybe that's one of those like old married lady things where like, you can't see it, but like <laughs> everyone else sees how you're always like, well, my husband yeah. and I, you know, I know. Uh, but whatever. <laughs> People keep listening and asking for these topics. Um, One of the first topics that someone asked us to do was this episode on interracial relationships. Yeah, I was very yeah. not interested in I doing that um, because we also asked a follow up question of like, oh, what would you like us to talk about? And they're like, you'll figure it out. 
Um, <laughs> and I was like, that's not quite how you pitch an episode, but I appreciate the comment. Um, but we got it enough and um, we decided to bring on some folks that we'll introduce in a little bit to talk about it. But before we get into that, Iklas, I want to ask you, how big of a factor was race when you decided to get married? Like, was it like you always knew you were going to marry a black man and you never even considered mm. anyone else? Or was it just like, you're probably going to marry a black man, so you're not thinking too hard about it? Like, yeah. was it something that was really at the top of your mind? You know, I feel like I, I went through phases. And it's funny, when I was going off to college, like, one of my teachers and like family friend was like, you're going to come home with a white man. And I was like, what? That's not for <laughs> like, anyone like leaves home and goes to college. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was like, I, this is not even like on my forefront right now, but okay. Um, and then I had this moment one day where like my, one of my older brothers called me out the blue like, I think I was like in DC or something for like the summer. And my brother was like, you know, you, um, you, you got to get with a black man. Like, oh, wow. Don't, don't be playing he, games. Like, went straight like, to me, it. like, yeah, like, uh, we had a whole conversation about like, how that is what I needed. And at that time, I just was like, Oh, my God, you're so crazy. Ha. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't really take the conversation seriously, what he was saying. Um, but then later in life, before I got married, I wasn't thinking like, oh, I absolutely have to marry someone Black. Like, I can't accept anything else. I think for me, I always knew I, like, not always, I knew at that time in my life before I got married that I did want to marry someone Muslim. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, whatever form that comes in, like, I'll accept it. But a part of me, I do find it easier just to be married to someone who like shares a similar background to me. And I think even more specifically, someone who's like black and from yeah, Atlanta. Like the specific <laughs> culture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because then I'm thinking about it and I'm like, could I like marry someone black who like grew in up New York? like super suburbs? Yeah. Like, yeah, in New York. Like that's a whole different type of black. <laughs> <laughs> and so I feel like black is such a like wide umbrella that it doesn't mean the same thing, you know, based on your experiences and growing up. Um, so I did consider race, but like race in terms of like, do they share a similar background to me? Yeah, like values and culture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about like you? Um, that's really interesting. I mean, I I feel like I was always like scared of marrying a white man <laughs> and I know that's not something that can like just happen like yeah. I think you have to be pretty intentional but right. also we know it's hard out here for black women and like yes. I hate this expression but like beggars can't be choosers so I'll stop like, it you're like, like I'll take if, it what if that's all I can get <laughs> so I feel like i I just didn't know. Like, I was like, I feel like if I put up like too many restrictions, this is like, isn't going to happen like for me personally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I think it was definitely a factor because similar to you, I was looking for someone who had similar like values and like cultural references as mm -hmm. me. Like, I know friends who've like studied abroad and like married people they met abroad in other countries. And I think that's so romantic and beautiful. But I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah, I don't know. Like not knowing the same language yeah not like 
coming up in the same like way that just requires getting to know someone in an entirely different level. And I think that's really cool. And that's not something that's not like an adventure that I've necessarily like sought out. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say like being married to someone who's Pakistani, I didn't think about it that much beforehand, aside from the normal like due diligence you do when you're getting married. Background Um, checks. Yeah, the background <laughs> checks, you know, sussing out the family. Okay, everybody's yeah. good, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what's interesting is after we got married, everybody had something to say about wow. it. <laughs> That's um, interesting after you got married. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like nobody's really checking for you or trying to hook you up with anybody mm. or like anything. But then all of a sudden, as soon as you're married and as soon as you're married to someone that maybe they didn't necessarily envision for you, there's mm-hmm. a lot of like oh, like, what's this about? Or how, like, I feel like people want us to be this, like, interracial couple, like, activist duo. (laughs) Ah, stop it. And y'all are, like, the opposite of that. (laughs) Exactly. And it's just like, no, we we really like each other. Like, alhamdulillah, like, it worked out for us. But so far, and inshallah, it continues to. But it's like, I don't don't want to draw any major cultural lessons. There's no lessons for the community here. Like, (laughs) we are not like the future of anything. Like, we are not solving intercommunity racism. Like, none of those things. Are you really not doing that? (laughs) We're not. I'm sorry, we're not doing that. We're two very specific families um, that get along pretty well, (laughs) and decided (laughs) to make this happen. Um, And so that's been interesting to navigate, because I don't think like marriage is so public and I think yeah. people and I and I do this too like you see who someone's married to and you're like mm, okay that's interesting, yeah, interesting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're and like so, how do those two hmm. I know <laughs> and so now I'm on the other end of that where like yeah. I see people like click on my profile or like you know they'll mm-hmm. meet my husband and they'll be like oh okay interesting. I, I, didn't, I didn't know your husband was was Pakistani and and I'm like you know he's from Chicago but I get what you're saying (laughs) (laughs) they're like really hmm (laughs) oh my gosh do people often ask you like oh how did you two meet yeah they ask us how we met um they ask us you know a lot of times especially if they're younger and interested in getting married themselves like how our families reacted Mm -hmm. and all that which I also find to be like very personal like it's a pretty personal like question um and so that like people will really like jump to the chase the one thing that I really like hate and just this is like a public service announcement Mm -hmm. is when people say oh my god your children are going to be so beautiful oh my gosh um because that comment in case you didn't know Racist. is steeped in anti-blackness that yeah. means your kid is not going to be so 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 black mm-hmm. um they're going to have a little something else in them that actually makes them attractive and that's really yeah. hurtful for me as someone who is fully black <laughs> yeah. um and i would like to think if i had a black partner or you know a partner of any background that my children would be beautiful and also that being beautiful is not the most important thing that I pray for when I think about my kids. So yeah. anyway, that's just a public service announcement for when you meet interracial couples, when you see their kids on the internet, please do not mm-hmm. salivate over them and say, Oh my God, they're mm-hmm. so beautiful. They're more yeah. beautiful than like someone of a different race. Um, yeah. That is like weird, like eugenics. Like <laughs> it's totally like, it's just, weird. It don't, it don't fit right on my soul. <laughs> yeah, I know. Seriously. And I'm like, that goes for family members too. <laughs> like, oh, <yeah>. <laughs> that totally <laughs> happens like within families. So yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, Mecca, since you're not interested in being the public couple, <laughs> I would have loved to have like 
you and Riz on the show and just like fire off some questions. No, but... we're good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> Since you're not interested in being the future of like interracial Muslim couple <laughs> activism, we have two people on the show that are interested in discussing <laughs> what it's like to be in an interracial marriage and family. And actually, one of those people is Ryan, who we mentioned at the top of this conversation, who is a Patreon supporter. <laughs> and his wife, his partner, Henna, are on the show today. We're going to have a conversation with them about race, family, and what it takes to bring together two cultures and one household. Ryan and Hannah, thank you so much for joining us on this show. We're really excited for our conversation today. And I'll also say for a long time, people have been requesting an episode on interracial relationships. So <laughs> no pressure, but we're really excited to have you guys on the show. No pressure. Thank you so much for having us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're happy to have you on here. So a lot of times when people talk about interracial relationships, part of the reason why I personally have been hesitant to have this conversation is I know that people are actually talking about a person of color being in a relationship with a white partner and all that comes with navigating whiteness and white supremacy within your own family. And in my experience, as you guys know, I'm married to a Pakistani-American man. Um, it's actually been much harder to find uh, people of color in interracial relationships with one another and to speak with and learn from them. So from your experience, how do you think navigating an interracial relationship as two people of color differs, if at all, from one in which one partner is white? Um, I think that there are you know, just more cultural nuances to pay attention to, right? In the case of like Henna and I, I was hesitant. I was even hesitant to even, you know, consider a relationship with a South Asian woman, namely because I was already aware of some of the uh, the notions of of anti blackness and stuff that happens even within South Asian cultures and communities. And so I didn't want any. I didn't. I didn't want that baggage, or I didn't want any of that to, you know, hap, you know be a factor in any relationship I was going to enter. But you know, God has a has a great sense of humor, and he, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, you you have your preferences. Yeah, watch this. Uh, with our marriage, and in the past, like five years that we've been formally married, and then, um, and even the couple of years before that, when we were getting to know each other and everything, we always were cognizant of you know just trying to be as authentic with each other as possible, and finding ways to actually embrace one another's, you know, uh, you know, race one another's cultures and the way that we speak to each other and everything. So like when Hannah would come, when Hannah had a chance to visit and meet with my family, like she was immediately embraced because she already had like a certain res healthy respect and a healthy way of communicating with like my black parents who are, mm. you know, by large Christian and also have like a Southern upbringing. And then likewise for me, like, you know, being able to interact with her family and her, her parents and her, uh, her siblings the main focus for me as well was trying to be as culturally relevant as possible without compromising or like, you know, uh, being inauthentic to myself. Mm. I think that's always the point as well that we are actively trying to do, whether, whereas where I would imagine the the conflict or the issue being for an, an interracial relationship where there could, where there is a white partner that 
there might be a bit of naivete come on on the part of like the white partner, which is kind of assumed like, oh, I didn't know this or mm. I didn't know <laughs> something like that. So that's kind of like the that's the trope. And by and large, that's there's there's a basis to that. But I think for us, it was a ma- the major thing was already coming into this relationship, knowing that all of us have a very rich cultural background and heritage behind with us. And that's part of who we are. And now it's a matter of finding those parallels and expressing them he- in a healthy way and embracing one another's uh, um, ways of doing so. Hannah, did you have anything to add to that? I mean, I think every interracial relationship comes with its own challenges. But I think definitely what we've seen in our community is when there are relationships that involve a person of color and a white identifying person. There's different types of stigmas and taboos and stereotypes that come out in play. And so I think sometimes you're at a further disadvantage when you're bringing home another person of color from a different community, because we all see our own internal racism coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, you know, when you have Muslim and ex-cultural identity um sometimes when you have muslim and white identity that can be the ticket to success for some folks um so sometimes unfortunately what we see happening is when you're muslim and for example african-american coming home to a south asian family there's different types of thoughts that come up for folks so i mean i haven't had that experience myself but i've definitely seen it play out in other communities and you know, there were definitely times in our relationship where we would think, okay, well, what if I were to bring home Ryan Hilliard, white guy? Mm. <laughs> and how would that play? <laughs> right? Yeah. But that's interesting. How do you think that would play out? A shoot, I don't Or it have played out. <laughs> um, well, first of all, it actually works out. Like, let's say, I, like, I, I imagine this is like the same thing that happens if I apply for a job. I was like, oh, Ryan Hilliard is applying. I wonder, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have a name that can pass <laughs> yeah passing name <laughs> that passing name but then they see that i you know have a hbcu on my you know on my uh resume and then i walk in the door and like oh okay you're ryan hilliard uh-huh oh okay so yeah i'd imagine that there might be there, there could be you know then that you know that has its basis or it has its traces as well and like you know, uh like colonialism and all these other ways that we've looked, we've decided, you know, many cultures have decided to try to put whiteness on a pedestal in some ways. Right. So if that's challenged or if that's looked at in a different way, then yeah, you might have a, a, a bit of a culture shock. And, and if that can, if I can use that term of like being not seeing, not experiencing what you were expecting. There's different fears that come out to play. And so when you're thinking about marriage minded folks, people are often thinking about one, what will the community think of this person and this person becoming my son-in-law or daughter-in-law? And then two, what will my future generations look like? And I think Ryan is a, a dark skinned black man. Um, and I think that those thoughts would look very differently if Ryan was a white identifying person, because, you know, our daughter now has a certain complexion and that complexion would be different if, if I had married someone else. So Ryan, you said something about if people thought you were white, you know, and then you show up and they are expecting something different. And it made me think about this thing that I read in Cosmo. I don't know why I was reading a link from Cosmo, but (laughs) interracial couples were just telling stories of things that happened to them. And one couple we're saying, you know, my husband and I went to Disney World with my side of the family. 
And so there's 11 black people and only one white man. And they were in line. And when it was their turn for the ride, like her husband always got cut off <laughs> because they had just like assumed that this this couple couldn't have been together. And so for every line, they had to explain, you know, how he wasn't trying to cut the line and that he was actually with the family. So being in an interracial relationship, do these things like happen to you? And just how does you like your family or even right the mosque or the wider community perceive you as a couple? What type of challenges have you experienced or maybe you haven't experienced any? I mean, that happens all the time. That's basically the story <laughs> of our lives. But I think- how do you navigate that? <laughs> I think just by being really vocal and transparent. Um, so for example, we see it playing out a lot when our daughter is with us. Um, so I mean, I think the gender stuff comes out as well, where people will assume that I am the mother because the child was with me. Um, but Ryan is also, mashallah, a very active father in Fudger's life. And so there are often situations where, for example, you know, he'll go park the car with Fudger, I'll go into the store or the restaurant first, and then he'll walk in with Fudger and people do not make the connection, right? And you'll always see this startled look in the face where they realize, oh, that person is with this woman. And so oftentimes I'd be very vocal and say, that is my husband. <laughs> that is my daughter. They are with me. Um, and that's often what plays out in public spaces. I mean, when we talk about Muslim spaces, that's a whole nother story Ryan can comment on. <laughs> yeah, that I think that's the the example that comes to mind for me is that in Muslim spaces specifically is where that where we see a lot of examples of that. For instance, um there have been like everything from like even our own like wedding reception, the you know, like the Pakistani Walima that we had, or Shadi, I mean, that we had here in Toronto. Um we I was encouraged to actually henna like whispered and said, I want you to give the Adhan. And I'm like, why? It's like somebody else can do is like give the other because there are aunties here that are thinking that you converted just for her. So, right. So even stuff like that is like, Oh, I have to, you know, use my identity as a performance in order to validate or just like basically say like, I'm actually who I say I am and not whatever these perceptions or these assumptions that you're making about our relationship, because it doesn't look like what you're used to, right? Like a black guy going out of his way to marry a, South Asian woman doesn't, I guess, doesn't happen that often. So for them, it's like, all right, well, if you're actually about it, prove it. So I'm like, okay, and now I got to give the adhan or talk about my, you know, me being Muslim for the past 10 plus years, right? Independent of me meeting her and everything. So it's, it's stuff like that, that becomes, you know, part of the conversation, you know, part of the conversation and we're now prepared for it and navigating it just means that we're giving ourselves, you know, trying to be patient with ourselves and know that, yes, not everybody has the same, I guess, exposure to the, or it has the same even thoughts about their identity and how to express that as we do. And now we have to do a bit of education for others, but also be patient with ourselves and knowing that, and, and, how, and, and, uh, and again, like Hannah said, vocal and, and clear on how we, how we present ourselves. Ryan and I are also both very bold with our relationship and we both play roles in the community and, we have had and currently have roles in the community where we are influential to young folks. And so I think, you know, unfortunately in the Muslim community, we have had many unfortunate interactions as well, where folks have wanted to interact with us separately because they're worried about what the community will think or what kind of influence we'll have on young folks if, if they see our relationship as an example. Um, and so we've 
unfortunately had experiences where we've been asked for me to stay home or um, be booked separately because folks are worried that, you know, young impressionable people will think it's okay to marry outside of their race or they'll be encouraged. And whereas for us, we want young folks to see, you know, like they say, hashtag goals, right? That's what the young kids are saying. These days. <laughs> <laughs> they wanna, we want them to see that it's possible and it can be loving and gentle and a respectful relationship. And it doesn't come without challenges, but that it's possible. Oh, oh my gosh. This is like really heavy stuff. Um, community is really hard and it's always the people who you love the most and who you're trying to help that have the potential to hurt you and really like put you in these boxes. And so a lot of what you're saying is, is resonating really deeply with me. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit more about community building because I, I think it was Ryan earlier who mentioned something that's really important in an interracial marriage is kind of respecting and celebrating the other person's culture and background without sacrificing your own or minimizing your own or erasing your own. And that's a really tricky balance to strike. Um, even things as simple as like what you wear when you go to a family party and, and things like that. So <laughs> I'm curious from your perspective, how you go about building a community as a couple that's in, uh, inclusive and reflective of each of your cultures and uh, individually what sort of support and communities you seek out to feel supported? Oh man. <laughs> so mm -hmm. in terms of building our own community, that's, a, that's probably much more of a, a, a challenge and a struggle than it would be to find something that's already existing or just connecting with people that either have similar experiences or at least open to, I'll call it like accommodating sense of mercy towards our, you know, towards our relationship and how that is seen and how, and how that's represented. So, for instance, when we lived in uh, we lived in Dallas for a year in the Dallas area, and we actually connected with um, like a, with a couple with couples who were interracial themselves, who weren't big in numbers. We just had that sense of of parallel understanding and being able to connect with each other in that regard and spend time with each other, already knowing that that's like the basis of where our relationship is going to start as friends and as community members. And so now we're doing that same thing in, right here in Toronto, where you know, with Hannah's role at the, you know, on the university space, and then also with me working with one of the larger uh, uh, mosques in the, in the country or in the, in the area, that visibility and that sense of community building um, is, goes hand in hand, where in order for people to feel comfortable with or to get to a point where they can actually you know, understand what you know, the ramifications of that, they need to see us. Right. Whether or not, you know, whether or not we're we're putting that forward and everything, they need to see us anyway, because this is part of, you know, people need to know and understand that, yes, this is part of our umma, whether or not whether or not that's that's part of what their comfort zone is. Hmm. Ryan, that's an interesting point that you are saying that this is part of our umma. I'm assuming that you mean just interracial marriages are part of the umma. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. So how do you how do you I, I'm curious how you like defend that position, right? Because I had a, I love how I'm saying I had, this person still is my friend, but you know, <laughs> he was, you know, he was dating someone who was, is black and his father told him and he was South Asian, he is South Asian. And his father was like, you know, marriage is already hard enough. Like, why don't you just marry someone who's also South Asian? It'll be easier um, and so just thinking along those lines, like, is that 
do you think that's a legitimate, you know, comment to say to someone if you're advising, giving them advice on marriage that it is easier if you're with someone who shares your cultural background and it's going to be a lot harder if you don't? Um, so I think I'm asking you two questions, like how do you think this is part of the umma um, of engaging in interracial marriages? And then do you think that's legitimate advice to tell someone? That's for Ryan or Henna, you can answer that. I don't think I'll give the legitimate advice question to Henna, but, <laughs> but as far as being a part of the umma, that's ab- it's, it's absolutely true. There have been, exi- there, ab- there are researched and citable examples of even, you know, going back to even to the times of the Prophet Muhammad himself, peace and blessings be upon him, and his companions who had interracial marriages and relationships, right? And even before then as well. So this is nothing new, but how, however, in light of, or in the wake of, I guess you can say like this, this, uh, this this need to be able to identify strongly with your own home culture and what you were raised in. Many, uh, I would say that uh, some of the societies or some of the people that we've encountered feel like they need to protect that, even if that means that you know they push other people to decide and everything, push other people other opportunities to decide or even for themselves. Um, there have been a, a couple of examples as well of like people from those older generations of like my grandparents and like who. At what, like you like you mentioned with your friend had a you know had a potential relationship of somebody that they were dating or that they were involved with who was outside of their their ethnic you know their ethnic circle or their ethnic identity and they were discouraged they they wished they had had the courage and the strength to follow through with it not so much because it was uh because they were trying to be controversial or like you know be you know or be visible for the sake of just being visible but because they found some sense of authenticity in that and that even that meant that they were they wanted to they saw the possibility of venturing outside of their comfort zone outside their ethnic comfort zone to find something that spoke to what their actual needs were for relate for a healthy positive relationship and i think that's what's needed or what's necessary in our ummah is that in order for us to be healthy whole you know wholesome human beings and be the people that you know that god wants us to be we're able to have to find, you know, we're, we're, we're encouraged to find and seek out people that bring out the best in us, even if that means that that's outside of our comfort zone. So if that's the case, then by all means, like you should not close yourself off to certain things just because of what people will say or think or the other or what you're, you know, again, like I mentioned before, like what you're used to, because it might be, you know, it might be cutting yourself off from a sense of mercy that, you know, or, or an access to mercy that that God has given you through that. And uh, to that point, it actually brings me to one of the things that actually helped uh, that helped uh, Henna get introduced to me was this uh, blog post that I wrote like years ago. And in it, I was talking about a conversation I had with one of my teachers, and he was saying that there's an ayah in the Quran where um, Musa. Moses, uh, peace be upon him, makes a dua and he says, Rabbi inni lima anzalta min khayrin faqir. Oh, Lord, I am indeed in need of whatever you send to me. And so in that, you know, using that as a, as a reference, my teacher was saying that you, whatever God gives you is exactly what you need and not what you're assuming what, what that you need. And so if that's the case, then you're content with whatever he, you know, whatever, whatever he gives and you turning to him and asking for that is love itself, that act of turning. So he was making a dua for me and saying that, you know, may God give us love and all of its fruits and all the good that comes from it because it's exactly what we need. 
So if that's the, you know, so whatever God has written for you or whatever he has, you know, whatever the best is for you, even if it's not, again, if it's not, if it doesn't look like you or had to speak the same language as you or has the same, you know, background as you, then it's, you know, then pray on it and hope and leave the rest to him. I totally agree. That's really beautiful because honestly, you could have asked me four years ago if I would have married a Pakistani man. <laughs> and I think I would have been like, what? Like, why would that happen? Like, I don't even understand how that's a thing because that's not where I was looking. But you're absolutely right that Allah works in mysterious ways and I think has a great sense of humor. <laughs> and, you know, you have to be open to whatever is meant for you and, and the ways in which it presents itself. And I'd love to hear yeah. Hannah's thoughts on the advice piece. But one thing I want to invoke in this conversation as well, and this came up after... So last December, my husband and I actually went to Pakistan and it was my first time going there. I met, you know, his entire extended family. And from that trip, I actually realized we weren't just in an interracial relationship. We were in an intercultural and like cross national family. And I had never even thought or considered the fact that like my entire family history, as much as we know, is tied up in this place, which is the U.S., Whereas, you know, being the child of immigrants, you have kind of one foot in several doors of, of back home here and then kind of being a third culture kid. So I'd love to just hear your thoughts and advice about what that means as well to not just be, you know, different races living in North America, but also to actually be, you know, a child of immigrants in a relationship with someone who has a much longer history on this soil. Yeah, I'm assuming that's a question for me. That's it's it's a it's a really big one. Um, I think for like I like to call diaspora kids, that defines our entire identity, right? We literally live our lives not feeling X enough or not feeling Y enough. So in my experience, never being Pakistani enough for my Pakistani family back home, or Pakistani family here for that matter, um, and never being Canadian enough. Um, for Canadian folks here growing up, whatever that means. Um, so I think it plays out a lot in, for example, you know, when, when people try to get to know Ryan or, or ask me questions about our marriage, they always say, so where, where is Ryan's family from? Okay. So where are his parents from? When did they come mm -hmm. here? And I always have this moment where I just think, oh, how much time do you have? <laughs> right? Like, it's a very simple answer for us. I can say, well, my parents immigrated here in X year. I think that's the extra layer to our relationship is when I'm talking to folks in my life, they're understanding black Canadian identity and their limited, limited understanding of that. There's a very limited understanding of the African-American experience here in Canada. So trying to explain that, yes, he identifies as black, but it's not the same black that we know of here in Canada. It's a very different type of experience. Um, and explaining that they don't necessarily know where their lineage is from. Right. And, um, obviously there's different tests that folks can do, but, you know, we've only done one side. So Ryan only knows the lineage from one side of his family. Um, so I think it, it plays out in a lot of different complicated ways. There's the one piece of Canadian versus American. Um, and there's the other layer of being in a relationship with someone whose family's history, to the best of their knowledge, is rooted in America. Um, and being in a relationship with someone whose parents immigrated here and have a very different understanding of what their the, the future of their children should look like. 
And Ryan, I, thank you for that. Ryan, I'm also curious because now you are an immigrant <laughs> to another country. So that's a different experience than I have. You know, we're just chilling here in the U.S. Um, and so do you feel like your experience immigrating to another country has like given you any sort of like stronger connection to Hannah's family? I mean, definitely in, in terms of just proximity and having more exposure, because before when I was living in Chicago and it was a long distance relationship, I was living in Chicago and Hannah was living in Toronto up until we were able to move in together. Um, it was, you know, just like one off visits and everything. So that tense, that's that comfort that comes from exposure was a long time coming. And on top of that as well, like you have this uh, other this other new uh, layer that we have to navigate as well. And that's the being born, you know, what on my wife, on Hannah's side, being born into a, a Muslim household. Mm-hmm. And then for me, the, the quote unquote convert experience, right, of still being, you know, still being new, uh, like no matter how many years I have, still being new to the to the dean or being new to Islam and having that, you know, for the most part, either be like a, a handicap that I walk around with. So when I introduce myself or I talk to new people as well, like when I in you know in the community and stuff, and they know like, oh, did you convert to Islam? And I'm like, actually, yes, I did. Um, it's like, oh, okay, you know, congratulations. How long have you been Muslim? They're expecting like maybe like two years, three years. I'm like, I've been Muslim for thirteen years, fam. Like we're we're it's, it's been a minute. Alhamdulillah, you know, praise God. I'm glad. I'm glad for all those years. But nonetheless, like being able to you know have to have that notion that yes i did i did embrace islam a little bit later on later on in life but that still doesn't uh negate or is not as it doesn't mean that it's either any less authentic or just because it's not set you know because i didn't grow up in a household like that that i'm either you know either less than or not as knowledgeable as somebody who say grew up in that type of household and i think that being you know being basically kind of by ourselves but learning from the, learning about our respective uh cultures from afar allowed us to be able to figure that out for ourselves and not so much and figure out that out for ourselves and be authentic you know be authentic in such a way that allows us to just be able to present that together as a unit to other people hmm. i have an ongoing joke that ryan's never been able to tell his entire shahada story in less than 2 hours <laughs> So it, oh my! I'm not, I, gonna, wow. I'm not I, gonna do that here. I, I was teasing him. That yeah, you two are going to do a lot of cutting. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we don't have any questions along those lines, so <laughs> I think we're safe. I did want to circle back, though, Hannah, to the question about: Do you think you know that legit? advice about, you know, marrying someone who is outside of your cultural background, you know, does present more difficult challenges than just marrying someone within your own familiarity, right? And that includes even, I mean, being Muslim and someone who's like grown up in a Muslim household, Mm -hmm. I know that too, a lot of people would give advice of like, oh, you know, you want somebody who, you know, grew up Muslim, you know, because there's also that, you know, stigma mm-hmm. around people who convert it as well. So yeah. just thinking about all of those layers and, you know, being married now for five years, do you think that's legitimate advice? I mean, you better say no. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to the podcast if I answer. Um, I don't think it's legitimate advice, but I think it comes from a well-intentioned place. And I think it comes from a place of fear. 
I think that oftentimes when you're hearing people say that, it's because they've experienced their own challenges within their own marriage. And they think anything that deviates outside of what I have will not work. So just do it the way that I did it. Um, I also think that it comes from a place of, again, coming from the communities that we come from, is worrying about what other people will think. And so people are often giving advice that will mitigate the least amount of danger possible and raise the least amount of red flags as possible, right? I think doing the work that I do, I see a lot of damaged, toxic, abusive relationships that happen within the same community. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that simply marrying within your own race or marrying within your own tribe or within your own community changes that, right? There's a lot of marriages that don't work or marriages that are destined to not work um yeah that fit that box right that have every box check marked off so i don't think that that's enough reason for a marriage to fail that just because you're marrying someone from a different um community as you that it won't work out um yeah yeah I think again, from this is when I hear questions like this, this is where I'm, I'm very cognizant of our different identities between Ryan and I, because my answers are always coming from the perspective of a, a second generation kid, right? Or first generation, depending on how you phrase it. So for me, I'm always thinking, well, my parents came to Canada within their lifetime. So they're understanding marriage from their own upbringing. But we already see, you know, when we compare with other families who are third, fourth, fifth generation, we already see that changing. We already see that concept of marriage changing slightly, not greatly, but slightly. Um, And so I'm also very cognizant of the fact that that advice, the original advice that you mentioned, comes from a place of just not Mm. knowing otherwise. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, I. You mentioned that you have a four-year-old daughter. So I want to talk a little bit about that because I don't have children yet. Um, But one of the comments that my husband and I frequently get is like how beautiful our children will be. And this is something that I cringe whenever I hear this because I know it's a compliment, but it's grounded in what I perceive to be anti-blackness and thinking that black features are not inherently beautiful. So as your daughter grows up, what are some of the things that you're trying to teach her about beauty as it relates to race? Like, how do you make sure she embraces both sides of her culture, um, that she knows that she is beautiful, but also protect from sort of that anti-blackness that's more pervasive in our culture? Man, that's another podcast on its own. (laughs) That's that's very much so a a daily struggle. Um, And I think as she's getting older, we're starting to, like as of lately, seeing it as a daily victory. Our daughter just started kindergarten. And so she came home with a slip today with her choices from the the book fair. And she chose a book that's called My My Heart is Brave. I think that's what it's called. And right away I said, I have to Google this. I I don't know what this book is. So I Googled it and on the front of the book, it's a picture of a, a brown girl with braids. And I thought, okay, yes, we're doing something right. Um, so, I mean, uh, I'm reminded, uh, we kind of joke around about this, but I, so I have older siblings and I've always been raised in a family where I'm the darkest um, in terms of my skin tone. Um, and I also have a skin condition. So my skin has gotten progressively darker as I've gotten older. Um, and so I've always been known as 
the the darker skinned one in the family. But now that I've met Ryan's family, I'm now the one with the light skin and the one with the good hair. So it's a very interesting <laughs> juxtaposition for me um, that I'm always reflecting on. And I, I have to be, I mention it because I have to be very cognizant as to how I mm-hmm. exhibit that in front of Fajr, right? Fajr being a daughter, I have to be very cognizant about how I talk about my hair, how I talk about my skin, how I talk about beauty. Um, and, and what kind of models we put before her. So we're, we're very careful about what books we buy for her. We're very careful about what shows she watches. Um, and on the flip side, we're very careful in correcting people when they say statements that are wild or outrageous or will make her question herself as anything other than beautiful and, and brilliant and all the things that she can be. Yeah, I think to add to that, you know, you mentioned, uh, Mecca, I think you mentioned like just like, like anti-blackness that can happen, you know, for, you know, for mixed children, but also what comes from that as well is from our own communities as well. Like I know that before we got, mm-hmm. you know, when we did, get, when Hannah and I did get married, I was telling like some of my, you know, some of my longstanding friends and um, other people in my community where she was from and everything. She's like, Oh, Oh, she like, she's like, and I was like, there's like, where's Pakistan? I'm like, Oh, it's next to India. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, she gonna have that good hair. <laughs> yeah. that good hair. I was like, that's that's what you focus on and that reminds me that mm-hmm. even for even that anti-blackness and everything even happens you know very in the very subtly but very pre, you know very subtle but very present even in our own communities and our own experience where if she had much curly you know tighter curls and everything she would be you know it would be a problem or something that's less desirable but we know that you know even though she has the features that she has and everything uh you know and that's those are god given we're also great we're also like henna said we're also cognizant to make sure that all of the representation that we show to her is as authentic and as um affirming as possible even part of our morning ritual is is uh making is singing uh brown skin girl by beyonce and she actually sings along with that I think that has become like every little girl's anthem. (laughs) (laughs) And grown woman. And grown woman. woman. Okay. Of course, of course. And then even before then, when she was when we were taking her to preschool, we would sing uh This is the day that the Lord has made, um, on our way to drive dropping her off. Now, mind you, like it's a you know, it's a pretty straightforward gospel song and stuff like that with no, you know, problematic statements or anything in it. But that's that was my way of kind of porting African-American culture into her experience as well, just so that when she does visit her, her, you know, visit my family and everything, that's something that's familiar. And that's something that she has a, has a, a foot or has a stake in to say like, Oh yeah, I remember that song. My, you know, my, my poppy used to like sing that. And we used to sing that when I went to go to school and stuff. So it has to be like over, it has to be overt, but also subtle as well. Like in the things that we present and the way that we speak to her, like Hannah was saying. For sure. Um, we are coming to a close. The time went so fast. <laughs> but we do have just a, one more question for you. So this, I recently watched Crazy Rich Asians. I like saw it super late because I was like, whatever, I don't want to watch that movie. I bet it's like not even good. And like, surprisingly, I really liked it. <laughs> but do you think, do you have, you know, a movie or a TV show that you think like really just gets interracial or even like interclass right like because crazy rich asians is also about class it's about being an immigrant do you think that is there a a movie or a tv show out there that you feel like okay they they're getting it right 
I mean, in terms of the black and Desi experience or just interracial and just in general. Yeah. Okay. We got a couple of examples, like first and foremost, like our, our, uh, our go-to is Mississippi Masala, right? Which is the <laughs> Denzel Washington. Saffron orange and the blue denim shirt, Biloxi, Mississippi, so like, funny. Mommy, or Mississippi too. I was like, this, this kind of works. <laughs> that's so funny i don't think i've ever actually seen that movie i i should You'll watch it <laughs> this is definitely worth it's definitely worth a look right but yeah so those type you know that movie but then even like more recent shows like i know hannah watches this is us which is everybody's kind of go-to in their favorite in that regard even though it's not necessarily interracial like in terms of like marriages and and mm-hmm. those romantic relationships it does have like the uh, difficulty of navigating that with, you know, like with a with a uh, child of that that identifies as something that has, identifies as something else ethnically. Also, we can't forget Four Weddings, the new Hulu show. Oh. They had a a, br- a black brown like, cross cultural like star cross lovers that I was really into. <laughs> oh, interesting. I mean, but Ryan had a lot to say about who that actress was. Oh, uh, <laughs> the black woman in the in the couple. Yeah, I mean that's another for I think that's for another conversation, but just about colorism and how they decide oh, yeah. to, you know, the acceptability of oh she's black. It's like, yeah, but she's she's passing. But they left her <laughs> quote unquote passing. They left her hair natural though. Yeah. I don't know. I, that's a tough mm-hmm. one. I wish I had thought about it in advance. I, I can't. I, I guess that speaks no to it, right that there isn't an appropriate representation, um, and that's why it's so important for us to kind of be loud with our relationship. Mine's naturally loud. I'm not, but <laughs> I mean, you should just star in your own TV show. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, there are a few examples. You just kind of have to look for them. I know on Netflix as well, there's another uh, Spanish, I think it's a Mexican um, uh, telenovela or, or drama called um, house of flowers. Mm. Ryan, I heard you show that you show your Spanish skills. You were like, I wasn't in Granada for nothing. <laughs> No, I mean, like telenovela. I, I gotta hold on to that for as long as my as long as my mind will let me, right? So yeah, so that, uh, so that's a good show as well. That you know, I think, and one of the characters actually does bring home a black guy and has has been delaying or trying to push off the announcement that they're getting engaged because of what people will think or what their family will mm-hmm. say, even though there's other relationships that are kind of that are either out or that are are lauded, such as one with uh, I think there's a, a I think there's a queer couple in there. And then there's also another couple as well that is like, I think one like was divorced and then like remarried or something like that. So there's others that have been accepted in that as well. But for some reason, the one bringing home the black guy is like the hardest one to have. Interesting. So, yeah, so having those type of things is always hard. Yeah. So it's called, uh, yeah, the house of flowers. Do either of you have any recommendations or examples that you've seen? Um, So I do love crazy rich Asians. (laughs) I, I think it's so great good. because it is about sort of like, like you said, immigration, it's about class, it's about, you know, being from like different, like they were both like sort of like Chinese, but one was like Singaporean, one was Chinese American, like there was just like so many different layers to that. And I thought it was handled like really well without making either background the, the actual villain like i think you actually ended with an understanding that these things are complex and everyone's like trying really hard to like mm-hmm. not lose something like i think it spoke to that fear mm-hmm. that we spoke about in this conversation so i feel like that is one that I, that felt really 
true to real life and also respectful while while being honest and not hiding that like it can be really challenging to enter into a family that is wildly different from yours, but it's not impossible. So as we wrap up, where can people find you if they wanted to find you online or elsewhere? I don't know that Ryan wants to be there. <laughs> <laughs> That's real. Well, if you are ever in the Toronto area, we're in, Miss- we're in Mississauga. Feel free to come by to, um, to ISNA, Canada, uh, Islamic Society of North America. I'm currently serving as a youth and volunteer manager there. And also online, my handles are my name without vowels, R-Y-N-B-H-L-L-R-D. And that's for both Twitter and uh, Instagram. And you have to shout out the Blackistani hashtag. Did you guys coin that? <laughs> oh, no, that's been around for a while. But like we've actually found like we've actually connected with quite a few other couples across like, you know, the country that are in very similar, uh, you know, very, you know, and again, in those type in those relationships like that as well. I think there's a couple in Texas, another one that's in like in like the New York triad area or something like that. So, yeah, there's, there's they out there. I'm pretty sure we jumped to add that hashtag to your wedding. Photo. Yes, yes, you did. <laughs> and I was like, what is this hashtag? <laughs> like a cult. Like we want to pull people in. We like, just want to make our own community somewhere. It's like, no, you got you to join. You got to join. You're one of us. I love it. <laughs> We did not coin it, but we coined a hashtag for our, our own wedding, which we thought was really cute. <laughs> was that the masala thai? Yeah. 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 yeah, it is. <laughs> and we also gave out masala chai as like <laughs> as our, our giveaway at the wedding. <laughs> and Hena, where can people find you? I know you recently dropped some photos, <laughs> some family family photos. Yeah, Where can people sure. find you online? Yeah, on Instagram, I'm at Hena Masi, so H-E-N-N-A-M-A-S-S-I. And on Twitter, I am at Miss Khwaja, um, M-S-K-H-A-W-J-A. Um, and it's mostly, I guess, personal musings, but I also am in private practice, and so I sometimes share musings about counseling and therapy and wellness if you're looking for a therapist holla at your girl no. <laughs> yeah don't be shy don't be shy <laughs> and is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners ryan or henna i'm not good with being put on the spot and being eloquent that's that's Ryan's that's point. totally fine Ryan's <laughs> he has something ready no, actually, I don't. I um, I'm just really grateful for this opportunity to try to talk about, you know, talk about all of the the layers that go into, you know, relationships like ours. And I know that it's something that many people have experienced across the board. We know that you know, these are conversations that we've always meant to have as well. And now, you know, now that you guys are doing the, you know, the great work of having this podcast and getting into those type of conversations, we're just glad to be a part. Yeah, I think the main thing we like to share with people, because I guess it's an awkward thing people are afraid to ask, we're always happy to chat with other folks who are interested in our story. Um, we, we've we had a lot of one-on-ones with young folks who are experiencing challenges as a result of who they want to be with or who they want to date or who they want to marry. Um, so I guess just to put that out there that anyone can reach out to us if they ever want to chat about that and we're happy to support or, or just... Um, share our experiences that is very generous because i always tell people do not reach out to me (laughs) (laughs) maybe later but not right now it's fine i'm glad you guys exist thank you so much for coming on the show today we really really enjoyed our conversation
Identity Politics is a podcast created by me, Ikhlas Salim. This episode was produced by Ikhlas Salim, Mecca Ali, and Heba Murray. And music is by Ibrahim Azam. Thanks for listening. Till next time. <laughs>